This is the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you today. Bill Jack from Worldview Academy with me. And Bill, we're called to be salt and life. We're called as Christians to engage the culture. We're, we're called to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God in Christ and to take captive every idea uh, and to revenge the disobedience when our obedience has been perfected. Okay, that's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. There comes a point at which people are going to want to leave the military. And I'm noting this about some of my acquaintances. I'm thinking of Tony. I'm not going to give his last name. But Tony told me this maybe six months, a year ago. He said, we've been part, our family's been part of this military, the U.S. military. We've been patriotic. We fought for freedom. We've you know, been in this thing for, I don't know, three, four generations, probably back to the Civil War. And he says, now he's telling his kids, it's time to get out. The time has come to get out. The wokeism, the homosexualism, the transgenderism, the feminism, the crazism that's going on in the U.S. military has become counterproductive to any Christian involvement, at least from his perspective. You follow? There's a point at which you just got to move on. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a distinction between what is expected of you when you're in the military, your responsibility as a serving officer or a serving soldier, and your duty. You can't abdicate your duty to that, God. To God, because that that duty implies a, a an obligation or a moral commitment to God. To God, it's a it's a legal term, and we we as men stand before God legally as as head of our household, as defenders of a nation, and that kind of thing. So we can't abdicate our duty, but when we are called to act as an agent of the government, and it's an irresponsible action, then our responsibility shifts from serving an, an illegal action to reverting to our duty. It's our duty to do what is right. It's our duty to guard our families. It's our duty to serve God. It's our duty to obey His commands. And if an institution turns its back on God and calls us to be responsible to them as the authority, then you have that you have the obligation to say, I will obey the higher authority. It's Romans thirteen. In other words, the responsibility that they're imposing upon you becomes counterproductive to, to your duty. Your duty. Yeah. Your moral uh, which, obligation. Which ultimately is to Provide something of a positive contribution to the integrity of the nation. Right. We, we do have a responsibility to defend the nation, but when the military itself becomes a means by which the nation is torn down, uh, we don't want to participate in that. Right. So, if, for example, let's take it outside of the, let's take it and remove it. Was a could a Christian have served in the Nazi army? And the answer is, well, at First, it may have appeared he could, but the more he learned about the 
the atrocities that were being committed by the Nazi and the agenda military and the objectives. And, and, yes. Mm-hmm. Then you, your duty calls you to, to sacrifice of self-interest. Your responsibility calls you to be loyal and trustworthy. So as a soldier in, uh, in the German army in World War II, you would be called to be trustworthy and loyal to what the German army says. But your duty would call you as a Christian to be faithful to God and his standards and his rules. You cannot serve two masters. So what would you suggest to a young man or somebody who perhaps has been in the United States Armed Forces for, say, the last 15, 20 years? They don't want the vaccine. They believe it'll kill them. They don't want to submit to the wokeism. They don't want the homosexualism. They they want still to obey God, to stand up for their country, and to see something of the success of the nation. I, what do they do? They it, leave the military. It's Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. Matthew 18, they need to go through the proper channels and object and call the military back to righteousness. Call the military back to the proper definition of duty. And if the military does not, in a sense, repent, then they are free to resign and shake the dust off their feet. But they don't back away from all influence upon a nation. They they're just still, don't. They don't they're run, still they don't, involved they, yeah. in attempting to be salt and light, and preserve the nation, vote for the right people, start a business that produces six, seven, eight million dollars a year, and offer some of that to godly candidates who will make a difference in Washington or in the state capitol. Yeah, we can't abdicate our duty because it's imputed to us. We can resign our responsibility because that is a shouldered issue. We take that on when we join an institution. So if an institution, be it military, be it police, be it other, any, any institution becomes ungodly, our duty calls us to call that institution back to righteousness. If they don't respond, then you walk away from it. And you continue to exercise your duty as a Christian in your nation. But it, you don't have the responsibility of obeying ungodly, unjust laws. That's my, that's my right. take on it. Good stuff. Be back in just a moment. More saber rattling coming from Russia. Are we heading to World War III? And what will Christians do? then that next on generations you know busyness has a way of creeping into our lives as dads it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk and those moments can be tough to come by i get it that's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the colorado mountains to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today.
And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you. Bill Jack as well. Bill, we're looking at World War III. Now, there are some who have said it'll never happen here. Now, I think that's the mentality of the millennial generation only because we haven't had a war on American soil for 170 years. That's a long time. I mean, that's, that's way back. And World War II was 80 years ago. 80 years ago. That's beyond memory. It's as if it could never happen. And that's the way most people are thinking about war. And yet these words are shocking from Russia. Uh, The deputy chairman of the Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, threatened the world has come close to the threat of World War III due to impending U.S. aggression against the Russian Federation. Now, saber rattling. I get it. Foreign minister from russia and foreign minister is like the department of state guy okay so he's second in command to the i guess premier of russia uh, sergey lavrov told a south african audience over the weekend that the war is shifting from a proxy war on the part of the european allies to quote almost a real one with europe and america so wow german foreign minister as of today She said, uh, I've said already in the last days, yes, we have to do more to defend Ukraine. But the most important, the crucial part is that we do it together and that we do not do the blame game in Europe because we are fighting a war against Russia and not against each other. Appears to be a declaration of war. As close to a declaration of war that, you know, anybody's heard thus far from Hmm. a top official in Europe. This is approaching World War III. I think closer to World War III than anything I've seen in my lifetime. Is that accurate? With the Korean War, the Vietnamese War. I would say the the Russian missile missile crisis would be equivalent. And yet there was nothing shot. There was not a single shot. No, Here there's shots being fired and tanks coming from Germany into Ukraine to, you know, defend the nation and such. So, uh, wow, just some real saber rattling, but. Could it happen here, Bill? I mean, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to be prophets, right? Nobody's a prophet here. But it seems to me that as I read history, this is the way wars begin. Right. And calamity can come upon a nation very quickly. We see that in Scripture. In Proverbs 6, 15, therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. You know, we don't trust, as you often say, in chariots and horses. We don't put our trust in in mechanized warfare. We should put our trust in God because you look throughout history and you see in the Old Testament how even the most advanced technologically and militarily equipped nations, when they descended upon God's nation, Israel, they were routed, not by man's arms, but by God. And so God will raise up and bring down nations. I see Psalm 46 is applying, Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire, meaning that God starts wars, he ends wars. Yeah. Okay, so so you, we can say, well, yeah, it's human uh, influence that brings about the rising up of war, and and it's humans that either win or lose wars. But in the end, it's God that is 
reestablishing or disestablishing security and stability between nations. Uh, that's the bottom line is God's sovereign control of these things. And here's where I think war wars start. I think world wars start only because God brings his judgment down upon nations. This is what we say in American God's providence. We talk about God's mercy and God's judgment. And we believe that what happens in the world is not just human caused or is not just the influence of the fates or chance that brings about wars and devastation on the earth. It's ultimately God's sovereignty that brings these things about. God's judgment comes down upon us as nations for breaking his laws with impunity. This is why judgment comes on nations. I've been reading the beginning of World War I, going back into the history of the Kaiser, the German uh, Republic, and then, of course, the Russians, the Romanovs, uh, in the turn of the 20th century, a very evil time. There's a lot of spiritism, lots of homosexuality, lots of sexual anarchy has been let loose upon Russia and Germany. Uh, much of the Kaiser's cabinet are homosexuals. So, so you know, this is a, a period of time where anarchy, moral anarchy, has taken over Germany. And what do we get but a war between nations? Uh, same thing, you think about the Roaring Twenties leading to the Depressing Thirties and then the World War Forties, right? So the Roaring Twenties is an unleashing of all kinds of immoral immorality upon the nation, this nation, as well as other nations in Europe. The Roaring Twenties. What do you think of when you hear the Roaring Twenties? You think of depravity, depravity, right? And depravity let loose upon human society in America in the 1920s. The licentiousness. Cole Porter and all the rest of the licentiousness that's being uh, mass produced through Hollywood. Now, of course, all that's reined in by the Great Depression, World War II, and then you get sort of the halfway moral 50s and then back into the slew in the 1960s, 70s, so forth, right, with the sexual revolution. But... uh but this is how you get a world war. Now, if the Roaring Twenties led to the Depressing Thirties and World War Forties, what will happen to the really bad 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, especially if the world stays on this track and trend of sexual perversion and killing babies? That's my question. Well, it seems like we are at war. We're at war with ourselves. We are cannibalizing our own children. Yeah. We're sacrificing them to Moloch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe so it's already started. It's already started. Mm -hmm. God's judgment has fallen upon us. Well, and war is, I think people need to understand this. War is actually desirable by many leaders. It's preferable. Nations like to be at war. Why? Well, FDR gets four four-year terms because of World War II. Right? I mean, ultimately, war is desirable for power mongers. Leaders look like heroes when they fight against a nation's enemies. Whether or not the other nation is more virtuous doesn't matter. The other side is always more evil than us. And when the leader wins the war, he gets the aggrandizement for it. And here's the other data point that was shocking to me. One of the most important trends for a nation is to look at the government spending per GDP trend chart uh, all the way back from 1789 to the present. And I have this in a number of my books. Certainly American God's Providence has this charting, uh, American debt and American spending, government spending as a percentage of the 
gross national product. Okay, so when you look at this bill, one of the most outstanding or interesting elements of it is this. Every war provides a step function. You understand what I mean by step function? Explain that. It means a, a jump up on the chart of government spending per GNI. So every war becomes an opportunity for an increase, and it never goes back. Okay, so the Civil War, you know, you're, you're, you're bumping along at like 2 3% government spending per GNI. Get the Civil War, it bumps up, just step, step function to about 14%. World War One bumps up to about 14, 15%. World War Two bumps up to 26, 28%. So you get these, these bumps that happen at the end of every war. Each war provides a valuable step function, increasing the nation's dependence on government and the aggrandizement of government with all the power and money they want. So war is desirable for big government people. So that just it just stands out in history. I think if people watch it, they'll understand that being the case. It's also interesting, Bill, that there are no righteous nations today, as if there's never been a righteous nation, right? There's always been nations that are better than others, though. I'm not I'm not saying that's all moral equivalence. I, I believe that some sins are of themselves and by reason of several aggravations more heinous in the sight of God than others. Right. I believe this. I believe that you do have evil empires. And I believe you have some nations that have more of a sense of morality than other nations. You, you get the sense of that? Right. And God raises up nations to judge those evil nations. But, but He the, may even raise up an evil nation to, ra- to judge another sure, evil sure, nation. Sure, sure. And that's happened. And, and that may be happening now. Right. And I think we need to be open for that possibility. Bill, I, I just don't think America is a righteous nation today. No, it I, seems to no. me we are cruising for a bruising. Now, would I be saying that in 1934? Not as vociferously as I am today. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you wouldn't be saying it as adamantly. Right. 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 So, friends, where are we as Christians? What, what position should we take on this? Well, on the one hand, war, it just happens. But it happens because it's the will of God, and as Bill mentioned, it is God's means of judging and bringing his judgment down upon the world. And if at any point anybody's saying, well, yeah, but it'll never happen here, we're not deserving of the judgment of God, hey, I've got another discussion with you on the severe breakdown of morality that's occurred in this nation over the last 40 years. And there is still a God in the heavens. And you know, I was reading from John Flavel, uh, one of the Puritans, last night, my wife and I are reading through this preparation for suffering. It's what's called. And he says it's possible to determine if judgment is right around the corner. And he gives seven indications of what a nation would look like if judgment was right around the corner. And you know what, Bill? I think we pretty much qualify. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, by the way, one of the very best of the Puritan books. John Flavel's excellent. And his book on preparation for suffering is tremendous, tremendous. Probably the book that we all need to be reading as we approach the next 10 to 15 years uh, and with a severe risk of divine judgment coming down upon the nations. So let's get ready for this. Let's realize that. And one of the points he made, Bill, is that if you have seen that in the past God has judged nations for A, B, and C, 
and your nation is guilty of A, B, and C, God is an equitable God, and he does not treat one nation better than the other, so you must expect that he will bring this similar judgment that he brought down upon that city-state or some other nation upon your nation as well, because God is equitable in his judgments. So that was one of the points that he made. Well, we often hear, and I think it was um, Billy Graham who said, if, if God doesn't judge the United States for its immorality, he's gonna, he may have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Maybe it was Franklin Graham. No, no, it was, it was Billy Graham's yeah. wife who said that. Ah. And Billy Graham included it in an article that he wrote, I'm going to say maybe 10 years before he died. Yeah. Uh, a, somewhat of a prophetic statement. Yeah, exactly. Well, my friends, uh, how do we as Christians prepare for World War III? I think the first thing we do is fear, fear God. First thing we do is realize that, you know, hey, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Go to church. Realize that in the midst of all of the uproar that occurs with the nations where mountains are cast in the midst of the sea and atom bombs are falling in the city, remember that God is still in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is with her and God will be with her and God will help her and that right early. So let's remember that God is with us. But again, we need to be in a position of repentance ourselves. We need to be humbled ourselves. Our position is on our knees, and that is a safe position to be in when judgment falls. Secondly, let's be ready to provide aid for those who have been hurt. That's, that's key. Bill, you mentioned this off air that as Christians and as a Christian nation, we still have compassion for those, even among the enemy, right. who has been affected by the wars. After World War II, we, we spent a lot of effort and sacrificially uh, acted on the part of those who were in Berlin with and being starved to death. We, we airlifted food supplies. And Berlin was the seat of our enemy. And we airlifted supplies to save lives of children and men and women who had been deemed our enemies, not just but a few months before. Now, why? Because we understand that we understood the just war theory. We understood that you have compassion on those who are suffering. And when your enemy is defeated, you don't trample him into the ground, but you act compassionately for those who are suffering. And in doing so, uh, we saved lives because we believe that individual lives matter. Nations are to be judged for their actions. But the individual citizens matter, and so you right. you reach out. It's like uh, the the famous guy who, who recently, not too long ago, died. I've forgotten his name, but he was incarcerated as a prisoner of war in Japan and brutally treated. And then after the war, he went to be a missionary in Japan mm-hmm. to the very people who had tortured him. As a Christian, he understood that yes, in war, you fight an enemy. But in peace, you extend a hand of grace. Right. And let me say one more thing. As Christians, watch the Christian Ukrainians. How are they handling this war? And I'd say the same thing about the Russians. One of the things you can do is learn from those who are already in the midst of it. Do what the Ukrainian Christians do. Preserve your families from the bloodshed. Build the church. Defend the church. And, uh, and in some cases, Bill, they became exiles. In some cases, they become exiles. There's no getting around. In fact, we were in Portugal, I'm going to say last year, and the pastor of this particular church in Lisbon 
had taken in a family from Ukraine mm. into his own home. Now, that's what I'm talking about here. Yeah. I'm talking about learning how to do church with the exiles. How do you build Christian community? How do you be Jesus in the midst of these wars mm. and perhaps as well develop some form of economy when the world is on fire? And I believe God will make a way for us in this. All right, well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast, my friends. encourage you to read history. History is important. America in God's providence. It's our best shot at bringing a Christian history, a Christian worldview on American history. Now we're looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly, but we define these things by God's word, by God's law. And, uh, and that's the only way to do it. So understand what goes on in reality by the standard of God's word, God's law, God's standard of justice, and mercy. And so we look at what God has done in America as the works of God's mercy and God's judgment. That's the way we define it. Now, you're going to find that in secular history books. That's not the way they define history. History is nothing but random acts of uh, cosmic dust floating around the universe of pure chance and bumping into each other from time to time. It's just just chance universe uh, interacting between each other in a purely chance universe. Uh, but for us, it's not just the acts of men. It's not a chance universe, but it is ultimately the purposes of God working its way out in human history. And that's the way we present it in America and God's Providence. Uh, about a thousand-page, beautiful, multi-color uh, textbook as well, a workbook that goes with it, uh, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Bill Jack inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 